Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always... Mr. Gabe Gums, friend and co-host and uh, confidant. How you doing? I am doing well, my friend. Thank you very much. Another week in the books. Another week and... Another guest. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, another guest. Yes. <laughs> Who do we have on today? So we have a very special guest, as always, on Privacy Please. He is a reoccurring guest, uh, Mr. Scott Giordano. So if you're new to the, uh, the show, Scott, welcome on the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, just a brief little overview. He's the VP and Senior Counsel, Privacy and Compliance for Spirion. Thank you for having me on again. And uh, yes, I am our VP for Privacy and Compliance. Been involved in the law of information, security and privacy now, I think since 2003. So it's it's been a while. Um, it's great business to be in and I'm very happy to be here helping the company uh, get uh, everything they need to know about data privacy and security law. So it's all good. Awesome. awesome. Gabe, I think you wanted to start things off uh, talking a little bit about 2020, but why don't you go ahead and open that up? Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great place to begin this show. It's been a little while since we've talked policy and we had a, a full packed year behind us in 2020. So run down for us, if you would, what some of the, some of the major changes to the privacy landscape from a regulatory standpoint, how those things might affect our users, their organizations, themselves personally. Let's, yeah, let's start with a recap of that. Sure, sure. Happy to. Two big things happened in in 2020 in in the privacy and security realm. One, as many of your listeners probably know, the California Privacy Rights Act was, um, uh, was put up to a vote. It was approved by the voters last November in California. And so now it is part of the California constitution and uh, it is effectively our default national privacy standard. And I will talk more about that in a bit. The other thing was a ruling in the European Court of Justice. And this was a long running battle over privacy shield. And uh, many in the audience probably remember Safe Harbor many years ago and how that was invalidated by the European Court of Justice. And uh, as a repeat performance, the uh, Privacy Shield was also uh, done away with by the CJ. So that was a big deal. That's called the Shrims 2 matter. And um, it really is having a big impact potentially on on international data transfers from the European Union everywhere, uh, in particular the US, but potentially everywhere. That's that was a, a relatively brief recap, but there's a lot in there to unpack. So let's mm-hmm. start with the end and work our way backwards. Sure. So what was the acronym that you uh, that you just leveled on us? The the what to impact? Um, the SHREMS 2. SHREMS 2. So what is yes, the yes. for the uninitiated? Well, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Max SHREMS, who incidentally, um, I didn't know this, attended my law school, Santa Clara, um, briefly. 
I think as an exchange student or as a visiting student or something like that, um, long after I had graduated, but um, was um, very interested in Facebook's uh, privacy policies and what they were or were not doing, um, brought an action um, about the U.S. Safe Harbor uh, program. Basically, this program is a program designed to get information um, of EU individuals out of the EU in a safe way out to the U.S. So this was negotiated by Department of Commerce and by the European um, Union, specifically the European Commission. So they worked this out and there were some rules that companies had to abide by. They weren't abiding by it. And so um, Mr. Schrems sued in European Court of Justice and ultimately won. And so the European Union um, or the European Court of Justice did away with Safe Harbor. And I remember that day when it happened because I said to my boss, no way that ECJ will ever do away with this. It would create too much chaos. But um, unfortunately, they didn't see things my way and uh, Safe Harbor went under. Um, and then a couple of years later, Mr. Schrems came back for Schrems 2, which was another attack on Facebook's use of personal information, this time uh, using the updated Safe Harbor, which is was called Privacy Shield. That also was invalidated. And so now we don't have that mechanism anymore for moving uh, personal data out of the EU into the U.S., so that mechanism no longer exists. What have we been doing without that mechanism? What's been going on is uh, another mechanism called standard contract clauses. And uh, this essentially is a, an agreement that you can't change. And it's an agreement between the people exporting data to the U.S. and the people importing it saying, here's how you're going to handle all aspects of use of that personal data. So hence why it's called a standard contract. That the challenge is, is that even that was held in, in somewhat suspect because, and this is what's remarkable about trends too, and this is, I think, unprecedented. This idea that because the US intelligence agencies are plugged in essentially to the internet and can see stuff coming in and can see it really without anyone knowing it, presumably, and there's no redress for that um, from the point of the EU. So someone from the EU can't come to the U.S. and say, hey, uh, you can't do that. You can't look at my information. You can't do that without permission or get a court order or what have you. So because of that, um, Schrems essentially said, sorry, safe harbor, no good. Um, data privacy shield, no good. And now um, essentially standard contract clauses are suspect because now, in theory, the, the same U.S. intelligence agencies can still look at that information coming through, and these individuals don't have any redress in U.S. court. So now what the ECJ is saying is, well, okay, you're going to have to do something extra above and beyond what you're already doing in terms of protecting data in order to legitimize that. So uh, the problem with that is, though, is that we don't know what that extra is. They were very cagey about that. So now everyone's essentially making this up as they go and determining what they think the extra is. And that's where we are. It's, I don't want to say it's utter chaos, but it's thrown a lot of um, uncertainty into the, into the marketplace. Now, hold on. Did they use, did they use the word reasonable when they said extra? (laughs) ah, 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 I do not believe so. I I believe this is one of the rare times that uh, lawyers were not using the word reasonable, which we tend to have to use in every other sentence, I think. So so the net net of it is that um, we're now in a very great time of uncertainty for getting personal information out of the EU to anywhere. Um, It's interesting that their ire was directed to the US, but when you think about it, how many other countries that are getting data from there um, are also plugged into the internet and are having their intelligence agencies sift through it looking for intelligence. So um, it's an interesting dynamic how uh, the U.S. got singled out for that. It sounds almost like a, a policy arms race, though. I mean, mm-hmm. 
color me cynical, but mm. you know, our intelligence services, ours being, you know, I, I am a U.S. citizen, are likely going to, if this information, if they find this valuable to them, that this this acts that information, they're likely going to want to have it in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure national security and some other reasons will be, you know, bandied around. I guess what I'm getting at is, will will the regulation just keep stepping up the line as to to where? I mean, they've already got word of the, the word reasonable, mm-hmm. so let's forget mm-hmm. reasonable now. Like it's just extra. But that in, that information is still going to flow out. Yes. Where where do we stop? Do we stop? It's it's a great question because allegedly there's going to be another round of negotiations between U.S. Department of Commerce that drafted the previous agreements and the European Commission. The problem is I don't see how that story is going to end any differently. Because if the fundamental stumbling block is that U.S. intelligence agencies have access to this data, they're not going to give it up. And what I find absurd uh, is that there is no mention of the fact that EU member states, their intelligence agencies have to be plugged into the Internet and sifting it as well. Otherwise, they're not doing their job. So I, I, it's just it's remarkable, um, this whole uh, this whole s- circumstance. Um, it's just something, again, I didn't expect. And um, I was fooled twice now. So I will not be fooled the third time. Um, yeah, you can expect if there is a replacement for Privacy Shield, it will be gone. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of two follow-ups. The first is, will st- standard contracts still hold up? I mean, where, where do standard contracts fall in place here? And what about all the standard contracts that were already written? Do those have some kind of expiry on it or, or how do those hold up? That's a very good question because in principle, any standard contract clauses executed prior to Shrooms 2 would be suspect as well because they didn't work with that standard. Also, since we don't have much of a standard, it's just that we have to do something in addition to what we're doing now to demonstrate that that data is being adequately protected, which could be anything. It, it could be a technical control. It could be a organizational control. We don't know. So this is what's so remarkable about this is, is that it's completely uncertain. And so, yeah, you can make a great argument that any standard contract clauses that were executed prior to Shrems 2 are suspect. And Frankly, anyone's that are executed now are suspect because we don't have a standard to work with. So it's really anyone's decision who, uh, what is, it qualifies as those extra, those additional measures to be taken. Sounds about as clear as a pumpkin spice macchiato. (laughs) I was thinking the thing is pumpkin spice macchiato, even the thing I don't don't The exact same thing. (laughs) It's not even October. Women, Salmon, Simmons, Swanson, Swanson, Swanson? Maybe it's on the briefcase. Look on the... Oh, yeah. It's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. I knew it started with an S, though. So California Privacy Rights Act, CPRA. Uh, for those that aren't too familiar with it, I guess you can give a brief background on it. But really, I want to know if there's any immediate uh, effective provisions or, you know, because I read into something about most of it not really coming into effect until 2023, but I wanted to get confirmation from you on that. Well, yes, on paper, that's true. But there, there's a lot of caveats there, uh, which lawyers are, are want to give. Um, one is that the what I call in-scope data, so data that you have to be concerned about, that is data that's, that you collect on or after the first of next year, 2022. So essentially, mm-hmm. the deadline to have your ducks in a row is the end of this year. So think about all the new types of data that they've cited. This is what's interesting about this new statute. You have 
special personal data. This is brand new. This is not in CCPA. So for example, your precise geolocation, um, your account login information and passwords and so forth, that's all now special data. Um, racial ethnic information is now special data. Um, your conversations, your texts, those are special data. That's unprecedented. Even the EU doesn't do that. So they went one bit ahead of GDPR with, uh, with the, the CPRA and this idea of special data. That all has to be accounted for because it's both a category of regular data and its own category as well. So either way, it has to be accounted for very thoroughly. So the, the net net of it is that there's a lot of work to be done before the beginning of next year. And how can how can businesses get ahead of this curve and, and prepare for this? Best thing to do is to go back to your data inventory, which if you're a listener of the podcast here, I'm sure many people have developed data inventories and uh, go back and take another look at it and re-review, if you will, everything that you've done and everything you've collected and say, okay, well, this new data, this new special personal information, are we collecting that? Are we sharing it? Sharing is now a thing. Uh, what's interesting is this idea, uh, this, this marketing concept of profiling. They call it cross-context uh, cross behavioral advertising because they needed a four-word four concept for something that's really profiling. And they uh, essentially said, you can't do that anymore, put a lot of restrictions on it. So very interesting because that's something that the EU touches upon as well. It's disfavored. It's called profiling, uh, profiling there as well. Um, highly disfavored, in fact, but here it's called out in the law. And um, so it's very interesting how they, they single that out. So that's why there's so much work to be done to get an idea of what information you're collecting, where is it, what are you doing with it, and with whom you're sharing it. Interesting. The only thing that I get could, came to mind was uh, sharing is caring. Is that, <laughs> I, I thought that's what you were going to say. But... <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry to disappoint you. No, it's okay. <laughs> in the before times, that may have been true, but in the present COVID times, I believe that statement is wholly false. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> um, so can can we just... Uh, I guess we can do it briefly, but what's what's the big difference between CCPA and CPRA? Well, one big difference and perhaps the biggest one that really doesn't get discussed much is this idea of a privacy police now. Um, this is a first in our nation. We have a privacy cop now. It's the California Privacy Protection Agency or CPPA or Cal PPA or whatever acronym they're going to use. Um, but it is a full-time privacy police. And so this is a big deal since they have nothing to do all day but police privacy violations. So you can expect a lot of action as a consequence, a lot of fines, a lot of punishments, just a lot of activity in general. That's something that is, in my view, the biggest difference. Uh, some people may disagree with that, but having an agency just dedicated to policing all privacy, it's not just CPRA, um, this agency will police all privacy in California. So uh, a big change, to say the least. Agreed. Um, Scott, anything else that you want to add before uh, I move on to another topic um, around I would, the CPRA that, that people should know about? Sure. Um, CCPA took a very light touch with respect to third parties, service providers, contractors, et cetera, essentially said it's up to the business to go and, and deal with these folks. CPR takes a different tact and they put together all kinds of rules in terms of 
handling personal information vis-a-vis third parties. And they actually distinguish a contractor from a service provider, which escapes me why you needed to do that. But then you have third parties that are neither contractors nor service providers. So they've created a fairly robust set of rules for all those parties. And that's something that I don't think companies appreciate. They're going to have to go and dig into all their contracts now and see who's a provider, who's a contractor, who's a this or that, and make sure that all the new provisions are in their existing contracts. If not, they're going to have to um, upgrade them. So that's going to be a lot of work, a lot of hours to go review contracts now. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, hopefully people are listening and paying attention at least more, more so now than they were for CCPA. Uh, thank you, Scott. And sure. so I'm curious from your take um, around data privacy, what do you think the greatest challenges uh, with the new normal are going to be for most people and businesses? Um, I think that we have a lot of the, of the laws we need. We have the standards we need. There has to be the motivation though, to really take this seriously. And I'm just not seeing it yet. And my concern is that uh, if you just look at the news and you see all of the, the break-ins, all the hacks, whatever you want to call them, all the abuse of, of personal data, there's just not a cultural change that, that I've seen yet that indicates that we're going to take personal data seriously enough. Um, certainly, I think we've seen a big change in the EU and maybe it's going to take a couple of years. But right now, I don't think it's as important and topic for board level or, or, or let's say a board level discussion as it should be. And I'm hoping that will change in the next 12 months. Yeah, I think across the board, I think we're seeing it become more relevant, but mm-hmm. um, it is a shame that it's still not something that's top of mind. Gabe, you know, we deal with a lot of customers and stuff like that, but what do you think, what are you seeing across the board when it comes to the new normal and the the data privacy challenges kind of piggyback off of what Scott was saying? Mm -hmm. Do you see, do you see that rising in our industry as well to where people are actually starting to pay attention? Yeah. New normal is a tough word, but it definitely (laughs) rising. I have, not in the last, let's call it 10 months, maybe even a little bit more now. I've not had a conversation with a security executive where it has not come up. I've not had a conversation with a security executive who either did not find data privacy as part of their purview now and or uh, in their title even. Many of them have equally become um, data privacy officers, at least in title and function. That's not to say like they magically became like privacy experts, but they're getting there um, overnight. And I've equally not had a conversation with anyone in, with that role where they were alone and did not have uh, someone from their privacy team with them as part of our conversations to kind of discuss their plans around data protection and privacy. So that new normal is setting in fast. Yeah, I agree. Scott, let's say you're new to an organization. You're not in law. It's big head honcho for data security and privacy. Hey, why not law? Let's, let's keep him in law. Let, let, okay. That's fine. We'll get it from his. Yeah. We'll get it yeah. from your perspective. Okay. So you're, you're the new privacy law guy, VP mm-hmm. senior counsel for another company. Mm-hmm. And you're given a hundred dollar budget to put into security and privacy. Where would you start? 
Um, as I mentioned before, alluded to before, the, the data inventory. Data inventory is is the first place. Uh, in some cases, it's the middle. Sometimes it's the last place. But you absolutely have to have the data inventory. It has to be updated. If you don't know what data you have, you have zero chance of, pr- of protecting it. And what's remarkable about so many of these break-ins and hacks and other bad things is that in in so many cases, the organization didn't even know they had the data that was stolen. Just just remarkable. Um, and it's consistent. It's not just one or two, but it seems every time the bad guys have a better idea of what personal data you have than you do. So the data inventory, it's critical. You have to have it. You have to understand who has access to that data because you don't want to find out later on that maybe you shouldn't have given it to a certain organization or a certain individual or what have you. And it's too late. Once it's out, it's out. You're not getting it back. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, I think... I think it's overlooked at how simple it is to go back to the basics and not overlook whatever you don't know, you don't know. And you can't you can't protect what you don't know. I mean, we we preach that all the time. So is there anything is there anything else that you guys want to bring up around any of the regulations that we haven't talked about? Anything going into 2021 and 22, you know, beyond anything that you want to add? I've gotten a number of questions, folks often looking for help. Like they, they want to know where, where can they go to, you know, research some things on their own, get up to speed, maybe keep an eye and a tab on things. They, they tune into this show to get some, some current news and things of that, that nature. But what resources can they actually go and consume, Scott? Um, I mean, on the privacy side of the universe, uh, the IAPP um, and just Full disclosure, I've spent a lot of time as a board member at the IAPP. They have a lot of really good material. Um, just, the, I mean, you could spend all day on the website. There's that much stuff, which tells you how far we've come with privacy. So they have a daily newsletter that I subscribe to and um, read that every day. It's a really good way to get yourself started into privacy, especially if maybe you're coming from a different discipline, but you've been charged with privacy. Um, great way to get an idea of exactly what's going on and, and the direction in which the, uh, the market's taking us. IPP is definitely a great resource. I uh, I certainly check out all of their publications quite frequently. I like like a lot of their yearly publications and so forth as well too. Any other resources you might tack on to that? Um, big fan of ISC Squared. Um, they have a great, great, great resources. Um, a lot of great webinars and and newsletters and just just a lot of great materials. I've uh, spoken to the conferences probably five or six years now running and. Just uh, just a great organization, a lot of solid information, and um, I, I highly recommend it. They uh, they do a great job of really helping bring together all of the cybersecurity practitioners into one place and talking about the things that I think are, are relevant. Nice. Yeah, talking about these organizations, it's I think that's one way to to kind of notice that privacy is becoming part of the you know top of the list for people paying attention to it because it seems like those kind of organizations are popping up more and more and the community in the privacy community is, is, I mean, it's growing at least that I've noticed uh, being in this industry the last couple of years. So um, that's one, that's one way to know that, that uh, privacy is coming around to being important, but it's nowhere near where it should be, especially when it comes to, to organizations. Awesome. Well, Unless you guys have anything else to add, and we can move on to 
a couple of final rounds of our fun questions and uh, we'll get to know Scott a little bit more. Let's do it. Let's do it. Great. Scott, I want to know if there's anything that Gabe and I could fix your life with. This is a segment I wanted to try out a couple times. Is there anything, any advice that you want us to give you on anything personal, anything small, building something, fixing something? You have personal issues, anything that's not too personal, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but any, anything that we could give you advice on um, to, to try and fix your life. It might, it might resonate with some of the listeners as well. So, Well, um, I moved into a new place uh, here in Everett uh, about three or four months ago. I have almost no furniture. I have a, a kitchen table <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I got from my friend and, um, and my bed, so I do have a place to sleep. Um, but in terms of uh, furnishing it, I would love some advice from you, gentlemen. I don't know if uh, you are either experts in that area, but uh, ah. I can tell you that uh, that is one area that uh, definitely deficient here at uh, Kazuji. Place I can help Scott. you with this one before you before you do, Gabe. Scott, nineteen seventies beanbag chair is not going to count as a bed. Ah, I'm just, ah, just going to throw it out ah, there. Ah, 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 ah. Hey, I was there when they had those beanbags, just so you know, sir. Okay. Yeah. It may take longer than this episode, but I certainly can help you with this challenge. So challenge accepted. Uh, we'll start with the following. What time period do you most uh, find yourself comfortable in? Um, I think it, uh, you would probably not be terribly surprised if I said mid-century modern. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Excellent. I, sir, am your man for mid-century modern. We should right. make this thing happen. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding either. Like, that's that's the best part. Like, now I, I've got you covered on this one. It's, we, we'll, we'll put some things in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, we need to follow up with this so so everybody yes. can can get an idea of where we went with that. Yes, yes, yes. All right, Scott, what's your biggest pet peeve? I got to know. Oh, the biggest pet peeve, um, I have to say, is folks coming to meetings not prepared. And unfortunately, I see it. I, I see it with, unfortunately, customers, with business partners, occasionally even um I no. hate to say it with some, with no. uh, some of our colleagues. It, it does happen. <laughs> it does happen, but it it drives me bonkers. And I know we're all we're we're putting a lot on our plates, but uh, yeah, this is something that just drives me bonkers because I, I think to myself, I could have been in another meeting right now where someone had been prepared. But um, it's just a pet peeve. It happens a lot, and um, I'm hoping that uh, that uh, maybe people are are going to say to themselves. I don't want to be that guy. So you know, that's Scott, my, you're, that's you're my a lawyer. Pick. You should just start billing them by the hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would, that would make things a lot more concise. I can tell you that much. If, if they were getting your hourly bill, they would show it prepared, Scott. Oh, the, yes. The meetings would be much shorter. Yes. Much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's also just a matter of respect. Uh, mm-hmm. So I can completely understand that. And uh, well, Coke or Pepsi? Oh boy, it's gonna to have to be Coke. Trick question, okay. kombucha. 
I, I was hoping you were going to you're going to ask for scotch or bourbon, but uh, yes, Coke or Pepsi. <laughs> well, that, can... that was next. Okay. Scot- scotch or bourbon? <laughs> uh, bourbon, yes. Bourbon, good. Yes. Okay. What about um, um, what's your favorite snack then since the pandemic started? Oh boy, um, at Costco, um, they I found these great big bags of of chocolates, and I'm tr- they're like these little mini chocolates you can get at Costco for for 12 bucks. It's enough to probably last me for, I don't know, mm-hmm. a, a month. So uh, yeah, that's been my, uh, my guilty indulgence. Um, that wasn't during the uh, Halloween time. Were you? No, buying? no, I, okay. I, I wish. No, <laughs> I, I don't have a good excuse. I don't even have a bad excuse. Um, I think, I think we need to give a shout out to Costco, maybe see if we can get a, a sponsorship from them. We've had a couple people mention Costco on here. Oh for yeah, getting, for getting it's snacks. Time. It's time yes. they started mailing us snacks. Yeah. Uh, uh, I agree. Costco, if you want to go ahead and shoot us a message, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can give you our, our personal information though, so you'll just have to figure out how to get it to us. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 well, they, uh, they they could use our technology. You never know. And <laughs> Scott, do you have a favorite movie or TV show? Yes, actually, um, there is. Um, a TV show, um, an Italian TV show I'm watching right now called Gamora, which is a crime drama. Ooh. And uh, it's very, very, very good. Probably one of the best crime jam- dramas I've ever uh, ever watched, actually. So, what are you watching how, on? Um, there's a, uh, HBO actually has a, a lot of these little sub channels or I don't know what you call them. They're just yeah. a family of things um, because it's all on, uh, on streaming. And so, yeah, I'm picking that up. And uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it. And I started picking it up and you can't stop watching it. It's that good. So I highly recommend it. And uh, it's based upon the book, which is based upon what's really going on in, in Naples. So it's a, it's a very exciting uh, thing to watch. Awesome. What, what would you want people to say at your funeral? Oh boy. Um, that he was a good friend. That's a good one. And <clears throat> if you could steal anything, what would it be? <laughs> Boy, now I didn't think you'd, 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 you'd ask one that was that tough. If I could steal <laughs> something, what would it be? And I guess you get away with it. We'll let you have that. And get away with it. Oh boy. It would have to be a Learjet. I love those things. That's like one of Now what's my, a Learjet? I'm not too familiar. Uh, like a, a, a private airplane that's jet oh. powered as opposed to propeller powered. Yes. That would be, um, uh, that would be hard to say no to. Fair. Jets are pretty awesome, especially if it's a private jet. Yes. And you can start just taking meetings at the uh, Spirion headquarters. I could do a lot um, with it. Yes. Wait, wait. Uh, can you, <laughs> can you fly? Um, I was taking pilots um, um, flying lessons way, way back when, before I started law school, I dropped out of it, but uh, yeah, I actually was starting to, to learn. It's, it was a lot of fun. Nice. That's awesome. Today I learned. Today we all learned. Yes. Is there, it, well, other than that, because that seems like a little hidden talent that some people might not know about you. What What's another talent that you might, uh, some people might not know about you? Oh boy, I'm learning a lot right now about outdoor survival because being here in, in Washington, you well, one, it's a good idea. Um, and two, I spent a lot of time hiking in the mountain ranges here. So um, uh, it's, there's a lot of adventures going on here when you go hiking because sometimes you go off the trail and sometimes you wind up having to make things up as you go. So spending a lot of time immersed now in, uh, in um, cold weather survival and just, just survival in general um, when you're out in the wilderness. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And 
This is an important question. This is a staple for privacy, please. Scott, what over there on the West Coast, what's your TP situation like when you put the toilet paper on the roll? Is it over or oh, under when you, you grab you, it? You, you were going to ask me this, were you? Oh, boy. I, if I had to guess, I'd say it's over, not under, but uh, that's just a guess. All right. We'll let that pass. Even if you're not, you can go check. We'll wait. Okay, gentlemen. I, we'll, we'll put you on a timer. <laughs> I'm sure you probably have somewhere you need to be anyway. So <laughs> Fair. <laughs> well, Scott, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Always appreciate your time and your mm-hmm. expertise. Um, please continue to keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I'm sure you're going to come back on because uh, you are a reoccurring guest and a friend. So. Well, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. I'd love to be on the show and um, thanks for having me. Mr. G, a pleasure. We shall talk soon. That sounds great. Right on.